We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace, and we are doing something fun today. You guys have been asking for it since we've been doing mock drafts on this podcast, and now we are doing a mock draft with trades, and to make it easy, I brought on the Pacers group chat guys, David Cole, Carson Stafford, and coming out of the grave, Lincoln Anderson. Uh, you know, he was out there just, you know, too upset. He couldn't even finish the playoffs because of how the Warriors got screwed, <laughs> Draymond Green specifically. But, uh, you know, here we are. We're ready to do this and want to break it down for everybody real quick before we just bring on everybody. So 30 teams in the NBA. I gave GM assignments to all of us to kind of play the role of GM for these teams. So David's going to be the GM for the Spurs, the Pacers, the Thunder, the Hawks, the Nets, the Celtics, and the NBA Finals champions, the Denver Nuggets. Carson is going to be assigned to the Charlotte Hornets, the Detroit Pistons, the Jazz, the Mavericks, the Warriors, his favorite team, the Suns, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Lincoln's going to be the GM for the Blazers, Wizards, Pelicans, Lakers, Grizzlies, 76ers, Knicks, and his favorite team, the Cavaliers. And I will be the GM for the Rockets, Magic, Raptors, Heat, Kings, Clippers, Bulls, Bucks. I'm sure you guys remembered all of that right there. Uh, so just wanted to say it for you. If you want to put that in slow-mo and listen back, you can. Uh, but basically, we're going to be doing the draft, and we'll be taking, uh, making the picks for those teams that we're assigned to. And at any time, the person that was the GM of that team could say, "Hey, we're going to make a uh, make a pick here, or we're going to listen to trade offers." So, uh, plenty of trade offers here. We're going to share all of our trade offers with you. Those that were declined, those that were accepted. Um, but other than that, we'll share the trades that were accepted and elaborate on why that happened. So. Uh, David has the first pick for the Spurs. Let's get things rolling here uh, with pick number one. David, who you take? So the San Antonio Spurs are going to select with the first 
pick in the 2023 overall, the 2023 NBA draft, and the said overall, because this is an obvious pick. It's Victor Wimanyama um, from France, and it's not even a question. I don't even think I got any trade offers. <laughs> no one was like, you know, hey, I'll give you my entire team for the first, and, you know, the answer would be no. So it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. I don't know why we would even mess around with this. It's not even worth the time that I've taken to explain it. So the Spurs are picking Victor Wembanyama, and with that, the uh, Charlotte Hornets are on the clock for the number two overall pick. The uh, Charlotte Hornets got two trade offers for the second overall pick. The first one from the Orlando Magic, which was the number six pick, number eleven pick, and Jalen Suggs for in exchange for number two and Cody Martin. That pick or that trade offer rather was declined as was the offer from the Houston Rockets, which was number four and a 2024 unprotected first round pick from Houston for number two. And to me, after years of just a lot of bad selections, especially at the top of the draft, this franchise needs to focus on getting the best surefire player they can get. And that right now is Scoot Henderson. Um, I think that obviously Charlotte already has LaMelo Ball, but this team is far too far away for me uh, from playing winning basketball, playoff competing basketball for the whole best fit argument to trump the best available argument. Um, on the defensive side of things, not too worried about it. Uh, LaMelo's size gives you some versatility uh, to play with that smaller guard, and even then uh, Scoot has that crazy wingspan so I think he might be able to make up for that there. And then I think on top of that, even if something does go awry, um, drafting Scoot puts you in a position where you can pivot either towards or away from either one of these guys in case, like I said, that fit is an issue. So overall, I think Scoot's talent is a tier above anyone else in this draft, not named Victor Wimbanyama. So I think you got to take uh, what is the surefire pick. And that uh, takes us to... Portland with the number three overall pick in the draft. So the Portland Trailblazers received a lot of uh, trade offers for this pick. So I'll go through them. The first one is from the Clippers, where Clippers would receive the number three pick for uh, the number three pick, Anthony Simons, Yusuf Nurkic, and two unprotected first round picks in 27 and in 29. And the Blazers would receive Paul George and the 30th pick. Uh, the second one that they were offered is the Magic would send Wendell Carter Jr. in the sixth overall pick as well as the 11th overall pick to the Blazers for the third and the 23rd and Yusuf Nurkic as salary filler. And then the third one, which, so everyone buckle up. This is a bit of a big one. <laughs> it was a three-teamer between the Blazers, the Pacers, and the Raptors. And so I will just go through what each team received. So... The Blazers would receive Pascal Siakam, Miles Turner, and Chris Duarte. The Raptors would receive picks 7, 26, and 32, Andrew Nimhard, Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, Isaiah Jackson, a 2027 unprotected first, and a 2028 pick swap from Portland. The Pacers would receive pick number three from Portland, pick 13 from Toronto, and Yusuf Nurkic. So these were the three main shapes of the trades that were offered. And then the Pacers countered with the same trade, except Isaiah Thomas and, or, well, 
Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith were switched. And that was accepted by all three teams. So I don't know if I need to go through that all again, but basically the Raptors would receive Jalen Smith instead of Isaiah Jackson in that part of the trade. So then without further ado, the Pacers would be on the clock to select the number three pick. Okay, so I will take a second to break down why I think the Pacers could accept this trade offer and then why and who they would pick with that um, selection. There's been a lot of rumors of the Pacers trading up. There's a couple of potential candidates as to people ask, you know, why they would trade up. And um, I think this has probably been covered on this podcast before and other podcasts. But if you think about it, why would they trade up from seven to four or seven to five if there's three moderately similar players that all one of which should definitely be available at seven and we're talking about walker Hendricks, and asar or maybe you throw in somebody else in there that you like you know personal preference whether it's anthony black or whoever there's at number seven you're going to be able to get somebody so the only reason why you trade up is because there's somebody that for sure won't be there we know that brandon miller is highly unlikely to fall beyond three or maybe maybe four but that's what that would that would even surprise probably all the experts. So if the Pacers want him, they're going to have to trade up and trade up big, not just, you know, four or five, trade up all the way to two or three. So in our mock, the Pacers would be taking a little bit of a step back, in my opinion, in terms of how successful they would be in the 2023-24 season, because you're going to lose your defensive anchor in Miles Turner. But not only are you going to get Brandon Miller, who I think that um, would that would excite some Pacers fans. I know there's some people that maybe would be um, upset about losing Miller, losing Turner to get Miller, but you're also going to get pick 13 in this same draft. So you still have a chance to pick another player that could fill the three or the four, wherever you want to put Brandon Miller, you can find somebody else to fill another hole or go for the center to replace Miles Turner. So you're really only losing Miles Turner and Andrew Nimhard. And that again could hurt losing them Hardy's he could just explode, you know. But there is a lot of duplication of his skills with Halliburton's skills. And so it would not shock me um if the Pacers were looking to capitalize on Nemhard's uh trade value being so high right now before it's clear that they that maybe we don't need what he provides because we already have it in Halliburton. Um, so all that being said, I think that we can get into why Toronto would, would accept it and why Portland would, would accept it maybe uh, once they pick later down, down in the draft. But all that being said, that I, as I kind of let, led up to there, the Pacers would be selecting here at number three, Brandon Miller, the 6'9 power forward or small forward or wherever you want to put him from Alabama with the hopes that he is even, I think you're happy with this trade if he's even 80% of prime Paul, prime Paul George. So um, that's where the Pacers are going at number three. And then at number four, that leaves that leads to, sorry, the Rockets being on the clock for pick number four. All right. So I, I do want to give the Blazers a chance to explain why they made this sure. trade because they don't pick again until pick 23. Oh, gosh. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> it does make a little bit of sense right now for Lincoln to explain why you accepted this trade and how you think this helps the Blazers moving forward. Yeah, so I do want to clarify here that with this trade, I was operating from what, from all reports, it seems as though the the Blazers are thinking. I personally would trade Dame, but I think that if they were going to go the 
let's re-up one last time and try and make a great team around Dame before he gets too old. I think this is pretty much the perfect path to doing it. They can re-sign Jeremy Grant. So then basically they would have a starting five where four of your five are Dame, Jeremy Grant, Pascal Siakam, and Miles Turner. And outside of a little bit of shooting woes with that maybe, you have about the perfect team around Dame to construct an above-average defense. And then you essentially just also count on how skilled those guys are with him to be a really good team. And I think they would be a good team. I don't wouldn't necessarily have them as a contender, but they would be really good. So that is the Blazers' perspective of specifically before the cap spikes and everything. They're going to go one last big trade for these next two years and try and, if not make the finals, get really far in the Western Conference and kind of they can say that they went in one last time with their star and Dame to see what they could do. And that makes a lot of sense. I think that this is a trade that it's very complicated. So if we need to go back and reiterate what happened again, we can do that. Uh, so David, real quick, just from, for a Pacers perspective, what all did they give up for this? Because I know like different teams yes. see different things. So maybe what did the Pacers give up altogether? So specifically we would be giving up Miles Turner, Chris Duarte, uh, Andrew Nemhard, Jalen Smith, and pick seven, 26, and 32, all from this draft. So, um, I, I and I think that there will be some Pacers fans that will be like, holy cow, that's what, four <laughs> players, four players, and mm-hmm. three picks just to get two picks. And we also would be taking on Nurkic, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we'd be taking on Nurkic. So, Obviously, I don't think we would be doing that with the idea that Nurkic is the answer for the world today. Um, but I think that you do that. Just, he can play center for you, you know, because you're not going to have Jalen or Miles now. So you have just Isaiah Jackson and Nurkic. We've had a lot of rumblings of people, fans that are unhappy with the fact that maybe certain young players aren't getting as much time to flourish and to grow. So now that kind of clears the way a little bit for Isaiah Jackson. You can see what you got in this young guy. Give him a year where he's either the starter or the pure backup. Um, and that might, that will definitely lead to us not being as good, but um, we know Duarte is kind of like in no man's land with his playing time. Uh, and then the picks, we, we don't need all those picks. We still have pick 29. We still have pick 13. Now we've gained pick 13. So we still have one more, two more picks in this draft. Um, and we're going to definitely do something with all these picks. Cause we're like, Pritchard has said a million times we're not going to draft five players in this draft. So um, we're going to do something with these picks. And this is as good. A, this is probably as good of a thing as you can do outside of getting Wimbenyama, which is impossible. Yeah. And, and real quick, just to elaborate on that, because the Pacers don't give any future picks up either in this. It's yeah, all, nothing. It's all which from very important. Portland, which is a 2027 unprotected and a 2028 uh, pick swap. So that that does make it a little bit better for the Pacers. If you're looking at it from that perspective. And as well, like, you know, some of these offers were pretty interesting. So, you know, the Blazers really had to think long and hard about it, but getting two starters for three, basically, and guys that probably weren't going to be part of the long term didn't make a lot of sense. So we will move on now to the Rockets because the Rockets are here at four. The Rockets did try to trade up, like Carson mentioned, with the Hornets to try to get their hands on Scoot Henderson. And the Hornets uh, decided they did not want to do that. So the Rockets are staying here at four. But there's been a lot of rumblings that James Harden's coming to town and he's returning. And if James Harden is coming to town, he's going to need some defensive guys around him. Ime Udoka's in here. He's going to need some defensive-minded guys on his roster. They've 
done a good job uh, of drafting some players, but there's still some roster fits that are going to be hard to figure out if James Harden really is coming to town, specifically Opera and Sengun, what are they going to do with him? So at pick four, could have gone a lot of ways here. Amin Thompson has been the consensus pick here for number four, but the Rockets are zagging a little bit. They're not going to stay with the norm. They're keeping the hometown kid from Houston, Jarris Walker, uh, a power forward that has the ability to play make, probably got the best NBA-ready body now. The Rockets are deciding that they've got too many young players that they've invested in, don't want to keep taking on projects, they want to get a win-now kind of guy. To pair along with Jalen Green, to go with James Harden, uh, assuming he is the guy coming in here, what do they do at the center position? We'll find out maybe later in the draft uh, as they have pick 20. And there could still be more trades to come, but they've got a, a pretty loaded roster. Got Jabari Smith last year. They got Tari Eason last year as well. They're just trying to get this team as defensive minded as they can to kind of, you know, tighten up the loose ends here for Ime Udoka as this team is looking to change the, the trajectory. They've once again not gotten the pick that they wanted. So fell out of the top three. Just terrible luck in Houston. So, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, it's not doing very good in the lottery. And we're going to take a bit of a swing here, but uh, Jairus Walker is someone that a lot of people really like, but they just seem a little nervous to take him this early. But I, I think the Rockets could convince themselves if they believe that he is the right fit with James Harden coming to town. So changing it up a little bit from consensus just to have some fun with it. Now the Pistons are on the clock at number five. With the fifth overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft, Detroit will select Cam Whitmore out of Villanova. Um, I think this is another pick where you just kind of go with high upside. Um, there are reasons why I there could be uh, a good idea, or the, yeah, it could be a good idea to go maybe another direction. But um, I because I think you could very well have some congestion with the ball between Cam, uh, or sorry, Cade Cunningham, uh, Jaden Ivey, and and now uh, adding Cam to the mix. Um, but I'm not quite sure that that franchise has seen enough from any of those guys to get too worried about how they're going to work together just yet, especially what your other options are at that pick. Um, we did not get any trade offers here. So between Jaden Ivey only having our, yeah, only having played one season, Cade uh, playing, I think, two more career games than. Jaden Ivey at this point in his career, I think you need to just draft the best player available um, who does fit a position of need. He can play your three, uh, potentially even playing some four at, at times. I think uh, Cam has the tools to be a great defensive player, and he's only 18 years old, and so that leaves plenty of time to improve his decision-making and his playmaking, which are right now kind of his uh, most glaring weaknesses. So. I think that's the direction you head. Um, D Detroit definitely considered uh, reaching for Taylor Hendricks at this spot, but uh, it, once again, it's the type of thing where you cannot miss out on such an elite athlete that fits a position of need. So ultimately, that's why Detroit landed on Cam Whitmore, which will take us to the Orlando Magic at number six. All right, we are back on the clock. The Orlando Magic have picked 6 and 11. They tried to trade up in this draft a couple of different times here for 2 and 3, and those trades were declined. This is a team that's definitely got a lot of a lot of young players on, a lot of potential. And looking at the board and how it's kind of uh, fallen here for us, Amin Thompson is sitting on our laps. 
But at the same time, we are a little bit concerned about Amin Thompson's fit with all of our non-shooting players else on this team. The Magic needs shooting hardcore. So uh, looking back, we know there's a team that could really use an upgrade at point guard, really just needs to get any kind of talent on their team. And we called the we called the Wizards, and we said, hey, we're going to give you this pick at pick six, but we're going to go, we're going to switch spots. We're going to go to pick eight. So we're only moving back two, but we also want Corey Kispert, who was, a, I think, the 14th or 15th pick about two years ago, uh, lights out shooter, and really had a good sophomore season for the Wizards last year. And we think that him off the bench could be a really nice player, and we still think we're going to get the guy we want to target at six, at eight. So we're going to go ahead and do this to pick up another asset. The Wizards gladly accepted this trade, and now they are on the clock to take their next franchise player, potentially. So the Washington Wizards are in a weird position where they've just switched GMs, and from all reports, they now have the full green light to tear it down, which is obviously going to be difficult to do with some of their high-paid players. But what I think is really good about Eamon Thompson falling into their lap is that he is someone they could talk themselves into as being a backcourt mate for Beal or the guy they build around after they trade Beal. So I think he is pretty much a home run pick for them. If this were to play out in real life, I think they would be ecstatic about getting him in. Uh, obviously, there's some some worry about some of his NBA game. I personally do think that he has kind of become a little underrated throughout this draft process because he, at the end of the day, is a crazy athlete who generates paint touches, whether that be for himself or someone else, at a pretty elite level. I think that uh, when you look at some of the guys of the past five or six years coming into the draft, he's right there at the top in that regard. And obviously, he has a lot of stuff he needs to work on. But I do think kind of plugging him in as to be kind of, I would say, a co-ball leader with Beal is a pretty good situation for him. So I think that the the Wizards take him and they're ecstatic about it. All right, well, the, uh, the Toronto Raptors are on the clock. Now we're going back to our previous trade that we had at three with the Pacers and the Blazers. So I'm going to explain why Toronto does this. Obviously, we know that Toronto was the last team to hire their head coach. They hired an assistant coach from, I believe it was Memphis. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. I, I haven't really looked too much into him, but they've basically said they can go one of two ways. They can try to rebuild with this group or they can tear it down. And I think... Rebuilding right now around Scotty Barnes makes the most sense for Toronto. In this deal, they get Anthony Simons, a guard that they could really use and use that youth to see what he can be, uh, bring to the table. They get Andrew Nimhard, you know, a Canadian himself. Maybe he can be their starting point guard moving forward. They get Jalen Smith, um, a guy that could be a nice backup big. They get Nasir Little, who was a uh, serviceable forward as well as a backup. But they also get a lot of draft capital moving forward, like we talked about the unprotected 2027 pick a 2028 pick swap, and they also get two more picks later in this draft they did not have. So you move up from 13 to 7. You do get rid of Siakam, but you get a lot of talent back for it. At this point, the way the board has fallen, we are very excited because there is another Thompson twin on the board that has a ton of potential that we think could fit right in at that three spot. Next to Nimhart and Simons and Scotty Barnes can play the four, uh, we still have OG and Anobi on this roster, but with him having a player option, we know that this is probably going to be a guy we trade. We're going full rebuild right here. We're taking a Sar Thompson because there's even some uh, there's even some belief that he could be the best Thompson twin. He won the MVP for Overtime Elite. 
He's a good defensive player. He can be a playmaker. Some people have compared his game to Andre Iguodala. If you add a young Andre Iguodala to the mix with the guys that we have on the perimeter, we believe we're building a, a strong core here, specifically defensively. Uh, you know, you got to take two steps backwards sometimes uh, to take three steps forward, and and that's what we're trying to do here with this team. We are going to continue to add young players, but at the end of the day, this is what we feel is best. Uh, Sar Thompson at number seven, and then the Wizards traded the eighth overall pick to the Magic, so the Magic are back on the clock here. And we get the guy that we wanted. We wanted shooting. We want Taylor Hendricks, UCF guy from Florida. He's staying in his home state. And we feel ecstatic about this because we were already going to take him at six if we would have stayed there. So moving back two spots to pick up another shooter, we get Taylor Hendricks as well. Now we feel really good about supporting our, our playmaking point forward, Paolo Boncaro, Franz Wagner, and even, um, you know, Markel Fultz, someone that really has stepped up as well um, and, and played pretty good basketball in Orlando. With some nice shooting here. Uh, don't have to give up Jalen Suggs. Can still invest in him as a player. And Taylor Hendricks could be the steal of the draft. A lot of people are very high on him. So this makes it a, a pretty easy pick for the Magic. And now the Jazz are on the clock with pick number nine. So at number nine, the Utah Jazz select Anthony Black, which they are ecstatic about. Um, between his great size, the amazing playmaker that he is, his amazing uh, defensive skills um, between all of that. He's a great fit in Utah, uh, filling a position of need at point guard next to Laurie and Walker Kessler, both. Um, he does have some areas of improvement to succeed at the, at the NBA level, primarily being the three point shot, but with how much draft equity Utah has over the next few years, uh, I think that this is a great spot to get such a solid piece to add to this team. And like I said, to fill a position of need, you got to start filling out that backcourt as you're uh, beginning this rebuild, moving on from the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert era. Um, and I think Anthony Black very well um, could end up being the steal of the draft and is one of the more complete uh, or has a extremely complete recipe to be a very solid NBA player moving forward, which takes us to the number 10 pick, which will be made by the Dallas Mavericks. So the Dallas Mavericks declined one trade offer from the Clippers for Robert Covington, Bones Highland, Amir Coffey, pick number 30, and a 2024 second, oh, a draft, our second round pick rather, for number 10. Reggie Bullock and JaVale McGee. And the reason why Dallas ended up turning that trade offer down is because they are looking for a top 15-ish uh, starting center or power forward to pair with Luka Doncic and a great guard that they believe to be coming back in Kyrie Irving. And then the Phoenix, uh, the Dallas Mavericks also uh revisited some trade negotiations after some long-rumored uh, Dallas interest in DeAndre Ayton. And initially, Dallas uh, offered Tim Hardaway Jr., Reggie Bullock, uh, the 10th overall pick and a second rounder for DeAndre Ayton. Phoenix declined that. They felt like Reggie, they did not need uh, have use for the role that Reggie Bullock would fill. Um, however, they preferred to have Maxi Kleba in return. Dallas accepted that trade, 
So the 10th overall pick is now being made by the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns select Kaysen Wallace with the 10th overall pick. One of the huge reasons why I think this uh, could make a lot of sense is with Chris Paul likely uh, not coming out, which it seems like we got earlier in the week maybe some news that he got waived. Turns out that's not exactly true. Um, but with all that, whatever's happening with the Chris Paul situation, I think it could make a lot of sense for Phoenix to get their new point guard of the future, especially uh, a guy that might be on who will be on a rookie contract and could really help out with the new uh, CBA rules if you get to uh, the point where you have Devin Booker and Katie still on your roster at that point. So uh, that helps out your cap situation there while also filling uh, that position of need. Uh, Kaysen Wallace, is he's young enough that if the Katie experiment doesn't quite work out, you still have some young talent in-house. Um, and is he's also a great defender, so he can step in and can take some of that uh, perimeter defensive responsibilities off of Devin Booker at about 6'3 and at about um, at almost a 6'9 wingspan. I think Casey Wallace can come in. He can guard multiple positions. He's a good shooter, especially off the catch. So that fit with Devin Booker at point guard, adding defense, adding shooting, adding youth, I think can make a lot of sense for this uh, for this Phoenix Suns team. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, the Orlando Magic are back on the clock here at pick 11, and they are going to continue adding shooting to the mix. I mean, it's uh, it's just hammering the same point home here for the Orlando Magic. Uh, really thought about going Grady Dick here, but went a little bit of a surprise and took Jordan Hawkins from Connecticut, national champion. Uh, love his fit as a backup, too. Think he could potentially be the starting two moving forward if everything plays out right, but shot 38.8% from three this year. You know, really put the ball in the basket, 16.2 points per game. He's, you know, one of those guys that just makes a lot of sense for our team moving forward. So uh, he's been mocked a lot of times to Orlando and other drafts, but Grady Dick is usually off the board. So this was a tough one here, but just feel like um, there's enough wing play now with Taylor Hendricks on this Magic team that we would just be trying to figure out where we'd be going with Grady Dick here if we took him. So we're going to go with a guard here, take Jordan Hawkins at number 11, and now the Thunder are on the clock at number 12. All right. With the 12th overall pick, the Oklahoma City Thunder will take a uh, someone who can help them defensively and Bilal Koulibaly. 
from France. This is someone that has been projected to them a few different places. It makes a lot of sense. Um, athletic guy, fits kind of their mold of the people that they draft. And on top of that, he's only 18. He'll be 19 before the, the season starts. But um, a lot of potential there and the kind of player that there will they they will take a swing on guys like this they have in the past where they go with somebody who may probably won't be that great for a year or two but at some point could really explode so um that's going to be the raptor sorry the raptors the thunder pick i'm saying that because the next pick is was the raptors pick and it is now the pacers pick so at 13 the indiana pacers are going to draft leonard miller and uh, someone that like could be gone by this point. Some mocks have had him earlier than this. Some mocks, had, I saw a mock today that had him going to the Pacers at pick 26. Um, could be seen as a little bit of a reach, but I think he's the kind of guy that you would want to have next to um, Brandon Miller in, in this draft. So he's someone that you can be patient with. He's only 19 years old. And if you have Brandon Miller at you know roughly the same height, and, you know, kind of a similar type of player, you can have Leonard Miller then on the bench and kind of bring him up and see, you know, maybe maybe he ends up being better than Brandon Miller. I mean, you never know. So the Pacers, as a team with lots of guards and no, no wings, no forwards, you're really looking for forwards and wings in this draft. So I think it makes a ton of sense for them to go ahead and, and make sure that he doesn't get taken, even though it might be a little bit of a reach. And I think with that, the Pelicans are on for pick 14. Yes, and for the Pelicans, their idea was basically there's a lot of stuff this offseason they can't really control, both with Zion and with a lot of that sort of thing. And then, obviously, they're also starting to look at that CJ is getting older, and he's very small, and small guards don't age super well. So they're having to start thinking about all these things, which is a pretty unique situation for a team that is so young to have to start thinking about potentially trading their star in Zion and then filling in the positions of kind of some aging vets. So I think what they decided to do is to take Grady Dick with the 14th pick. A lot of similar to uh, Leonard Miller, Grady, he's mocked all over the draft. You could see him in the top 10, you could see him in the 20s. So I think the Pelicans would be pretty excited if they could get him here. He would be someone that would help their offense uh, off-ball, and then they could kind of hope that he could grow into a more on-ball threat to kind of replace CJ a little bit. Uh, obviously, still, you would have uh, Ingram as your main ball handler initiating the offense, and he would be good off-ball as well. So just kind of another tool that they have to just kind of plug into certain lineups, kind of see what works. So I think that would be a really good fit for the Pelicans, and that is who they pick at 14s. And, and real quick, the Pelicans did get a trade offer at 14, I believe, from oh. the Utah Jazz. Yes, they offered 16 and 28, and New Orleans declined because they were very excited to have Grady Dick where he was. All right, pick 15 for the Atlanta Hawks. There were a couple of trade offers that were declined before the pick was made. Uh, first of all, Houston offered pick 20. And then a lottery protected pick from 2025 for pick 15, which was declined. And then Utah again offered the same trade from uh, previously, the picks 20, uh, pick 16 and 28 for pick 15, which was declined because the um, Hawks, although they do obviously have one really great guard, 
they need some more guard depth and having someone like Jalen Hood Shafino here out of IU as someone who could potentially come in and be a good bench scorer, but also has potential to develop and grow into something else. Um, he's still pretty, pretty young. Um, and so the Hawks were, th- were wanting to stay pat and take him at, um, at pick 15. And then that leads to pick 16 with the Utah Jazz on the clock. Yeah, so at number 16, the Jazz select Keontae George. And this is a pretty interesting uh, thing that's occurred because this is the guy, this is a guy that's, he's kind of slipped as the draft process has gone on and on. Um, I think he was mocked early in the season, maybe closer to that, like eight to 10 range, sometimes even higher uh, before the season started, did not quite have the uh, season at Baylor that you would have hoped for. But I think uh, in this case with the Jazz picking at 16, I think getting what feels to be a very safe pick in Anthony Black to play your point guard, you do feel a little bit better about taking um, a flyer on uh, a shooting guard that's been kind of mocked, like I said, all over the place. Um, So I think pairing this potentially dynamic scorer on the perimeter next to a defensive-minded playmaking Anthony Black could make a lot of sense uh, for Utah in this post-lottery era of the draft which takes us to number 17, uh, which will be made by the Lakers. Similar to what we have mentioned with some other contenders on this list, the Lakers are starting to look at that new CBA, and they're trying to get some cheap players that they believe in a year or two can genuinely be part of the rotation. And so they ended up going with Kobe Bufkin, who, though he's a little bit of a project in terms of some of his uh, shooting and scoring, he projects as a guy that could be pretty good as a pick-and-roll ball handler pretty early on, and that's something that they definitely are looking for to kind of alleviate some of that creation burden on their stars, which they ran into this postseason when if one of their guards that they still still kind of have a point guard by committee thing going on if D'Lo doesn't have it. So this is definitely a guy that they hope, in worst case, can just be a rotation guy, maybe the third guard, fourth guard. But on the high end, maybe he could be someone that does end up starting for them. And so with that, the Heat are on the clock. That is the Eastern Conference champion Heat. You know, Heat culture, baby. (laughs) Shout out Udonis Haslam on their great 20-year career. Hanging that up. We got to find a power forward to fill that role for UD, baby. What better place than to draft this kid? So then the heat culture, we're taking Gigi Jackson from South Carolina. We are going to have a star next to Bam Adebayo in three years, ladies and gentlemen. Have no doubt about it. Jimmy Butler cannot keep playing the four. His body's going to wear and tear. He's going to fall apart. We're paying him 50-plus million. We can't be doing that. we got to bring along a young 18-year-old power forward, get him with Jimmy, get him with Bam, show him the ropes, get him in the best shape of his life. Coach Bo is going to maximize his talent. You saw what uh, Caleb Martin became. Well, just wait till you see what Gigi Jackson becomes in Miami. He take him. We're going to the board. We're excited. Can't believe he fell to us at 18. And now the Golden State Warriors are on the clock. So not quite as flashy of a choice as Gigi Jackson to Miami. But at number 19, the Golden State Warriors will be selecting Chris Murray out of Iowa. 
Um, I don't think it's necessarily unrealistic to think that in a few years, uh, Chris could have uh, a season or look start looking a little bit like his brother Keegan did in his rookie season, maybe in his sophomore season. Obviously, Chris is unlikely to be what Keegan becomes, but I think he could be a very similar player in a very similar role, just kind of maybe a tier or two below that to a lesser extent. Um, I really like his fit in Golden State as a little bit of an older rookie who may be a bit more ready to come in and contribute more uh, than some of their last few draft picks. I think Golden State has a really great track record of developing players with this type of skill set. Um, and so I think for them, it makes a lot of sense for the situation that they're in. And that takes us to the 20th overall pick in the 2023 draft made by the Houston Rockets. All right, we are back and we are excited about this because we kind of hinted at it earlier. The Rockets are going to have to address the center position. They've got Alper and Sengun, but he is not going to be the greatest fit next to James Harden. He just doesn't play the same style of basketball. But we believe in this guy slowly coming along, uh, even if James Harden might be past his prime at this point. Derek Lively, the second. Derek Lively, we saw that he was starting to knock down threes at the Combine. Is that sustainable? We'll have to find that out. But we do know that he's a lob threat. He's a good defensive player. I think he was ACC defensive player uh, or on the defensive team for the ACC on the first team. So this is a guy that we believe in can be a lob threat. He can be a good rebounder, rim protector. It's going to take some time. All bigs develop slow, but we believe that his style of play is exactly what we're looking for here to pair with our front court of defensive minded guys as well. So that brings us to pick 21. The Brooklyn Nets are on the clock. And with the 21st pick of the draft, the Nets need lots and lots of different things, lots of talent. They need to go with a lot of youth here, try to uh, jumpstart this rebuild. So they're going with, uh, for the 21st pick, they're going to go with Nick Smith Jr. out of Arizona, someone that was, by some accounts, the number one high school prospect in the nation. Uh, many places had him top three had a rough year in Arkansas because of injuries and other uh, possible like fit issues, but um, high upside guy. And at pick twenty one, you really can't take or can't. There's no problem taking a risk and taking a big swing on somebody who could pay off. And that leads into pick twenty two, which is also owned by the Nets. And with that second pick back to back, they're going to go with Bryce Sensible out of Ohio State. Again, a young player, only 19. Um, I believe he's a little bit older in terms of like when his birthday falls than Nick Smith Jr., but still not, currently 19 years old and uh, also highly recruited player who is still really young. So the uh, Nets get a guard and a small forward type player, shooting guard, small forward type player, and sensible, a couple of really young guys that they can work on and develop over the next several years. And with that, we're going to go to pick 23, uh, which is owned by the Portland Trailblazers. Before we get to that pick, we do have a trade to announce. There has been a three-team trade proposed by the Rockets to the Hawks and the Nets. This is why it got a little complicated. We saw the Hawks take Jalen Hitchafino earlier at 15, but this deal came in later because they were trying to work out all the wrinkles. So here's what the deal is. The Brooklyn Nets received the draft rights to Jalen Hitchafino. They also get the Houston Rockets point guard, Kevin Porter Jr., and four second-round picks. The Atlanta Hawks receive Dorian Finney-Smith and Alperin Sengun. The Houston Rockets receive Clint Capella, 
who will be reunited with James Harden and Royce O'Neal from the Atlanta Hawks to once again add more defensive firepower to this team as they try to build around Jalen Green, James Harden, and this core wanting to make uh, a little bit of a playoff push here for the Houston Rockets. So uh, we'll send it over to the GM of the Nets and the Hawks to explain why they accepted this trade. For the Nets, it's pretty straightforward. I think you got to look at uh, is Dorian Finney-Smith going to stay long-term? And you need to jumpstart the rebuild, as I said, with those other picks. So getting any young talent um, and people that you have on rookie contracts that you can keep for a long time if they pan out is only going to be a good thing. Um, you're also getting four second-round picks that you can then use to sh help shape the future, whether that's just an asset to move around later or you actually take those picks um, when they come. For the Atlanta Hawks, the difference between this trade and the other trades that were declined by the Hawks is that the other trades were for current this year draft picks. Um, and I think that if you're the Hawks, you just take the best person available at pick 15. You don't need to trade back unless you are going to get a player to help you win now. And getting um, you, Atlanta gets here in this trade, Dorian Finney-Smith and Alperin Shingoon. So you are losing um, Capella, but you're replacing him with Shingoon, which could be a better fit. Um, and Dorian Finney-Smith is the person you're really doing this trade for um, to get a, a, a wing power forward type guy who can defend really, really well um, and going to help anchor that, that Atlanta team in a way that can make up for their defensive uh, woes, which are big. <laughs> All right. The Blazers are now on the clock at 23. All right. And so something that the Blazers now have to think about with these trades that they've done, obviously they shored up their starting front court, but they now need to start thinking about kind of what the bench looks like. So player they're going to take who they believe is a bit plug and play. He's an athletic rim protector, and they think that in spot minutes, he can provide some really good uh, rim pressure, uh, running pick and rolls with Dame. And that is Noah Clowney. So they are taking him with the 23rd pick, and they think that he can be a guy who projects as a rotation guy 10, 20 minutes a night as of now and then hopefully can grow into a bit of a bigger role. And I think that with that, the Kings are on the clock at the 24th pick. All right. The Sacramento Kings are, you know, really excited about the season they had last year. They feel like they've got a lot of good position, positional fits that they already have on the roster. But this young player is the son of Jawan Howard. He's a six foot eight shooter that shot the lights out for Michigan last year. And they believe in his upside. Get him with Coach Mike Brown. Really could shape him into a nice player. Potentially the steal of the draft. They're taking Jet Howard here at 24. Uh, could have gone a lot of different ways here. There's a lot of good players still on the board. And the Kings really, you know, could, could use different players in all positions. But just getting another small forward on the bench to kind of pair with Malik Monk. I think a six foot eight shooter could be good. And I think it's a little bit of uh, insurance in case Trey Lyles happens to leave. I know he's more of a, a four or five or Jets more of a three, but uh, just getting another guy off the bench that could score makes a lot of sense for the Kings here at 24. And so now the Grizzlies are on the clock at pick 25. The Grizzlies are looking at shoring up some of their bench guards. And so one of the things that they are a little worried about is that Tyus Jones could get a little too expensive for what he provides for them. So they are taking Brandon Podzimski, Ziemski, 
And they think that he can be someone that comes in and contributes as a pick and roll ball handler, kind of organizing the offense when Jaws not out there pretty immediately. And like I said, they think that as Tyus Jones probably finds his way out of the team, whether it be this next year or the year after, they think that he is someone who could kind of step into that role and be that change of pace guard that obviously uh, your defense is so clued in on jaw and what he brings that someone that's a little bit, he's got a little bit of scoring upside, but he's someone that just kind of is an organizer. They think that is a really great fit for them at 25. So with that, the Raptors are on the clock at 26. All right. We are back on the clock and we are just playing tag here. Me and Lincoln are just talking about these guys. So uh, if you haven't heard Carson's voice, it is coming up soon. And so is David. So I apologize for that, but um yeah, so here at 26, the the Raptors were really interested in Bobby Clement, but Bobby Clement decided to withdraw his name from the draft, and so they decided to go with another wing that has a lot of potential and had a really great combine. That's Olivier Maxence Prosper, uh, six foot eight with a seven foot one wingspan, defensive minded wing who finishes well and has scoring upside. We are just going complete rebuild with this team. We still have pick 32 where we can get some really exciting things. So. It's going to be it's going to be a great rebuild here, and I think that just getting uh, Prosper on this roster is going to help the Raptors continue to add length to their roster. Uh, defensively, you're not going to want to play this team this season. Uh, they're going to be young, they're going to be scrappy, and they're going to really make things exciting. So at pick 26 that we take, and now at pick 27, the Hornets are back on the clock. The Charlotte Hornets select Trace Jackson Davis, with their 27th overall pick. Um, I think Trace is a very intriguing late first-round selection uh, because he was obviously one of the top college players in the country last year. Um, But he also has the tools to play a very important position in in today's NBA. We still uh, have yet to see how this whole Miles Bridges fiasco will turn out in Charlotte. And you kind of begin to think that they might start looking for a potential replacement moving forward. So um, Trace, he offers a lot of athleticism, is a versatile defender, a great playmaker, great passer, can play above the rim, especially in a fast-paced system. So uh, Charlotte feels like that if he can reach his potential, they feel like he could fit very well with this new Scoot LaMelo Showtime run the break deal that they have going on in Charlotte. And that takes us to pick number 28, which will be made by the Utah Jazz, who will select Derek Whitehead. And Utah is ecstatic that uh, Derek Whitehead lasted this late into the draft and fell this far, understandably so, between some injuries, some bad fits, a brand new coach, um, and a lot of just other factors going on. Derek Whitehead is maybe one maybe the guy who dropped the most compared to his preseason mocks. Uh, he's shown flashes that he's uh, can look really nice with the ball, that he can defend, he can shoot. He's a great athlete, can do a little bit of everything. So I think the upside uh, there is undeniable. Um, and you're thrilled if you can get him at number 28 in this draft, and especially this late in the draft. Um it's always you can't really go wrong taking uh, taking a flyer, taking a shot at a really high upside guy who might have been overlooked because of bad circumstances or whatever. 
So I could see him maybe being a smaller scale version of the Michael Porter Jr. type situation where he's an amazing potential fit in the modern NBA that a lot of teams end up passing on because of an injury or whatever else, but might uh, end up regret doing so as they see him develop into a great contributor on an NBA contender, which then takes us to the Indiana Pacers who are on the clock. And with pick 29, the Pacers, after taking a six foot nine inch player, a six foot 10 inch player will totally change where they're going now and pick a six foot eight inch player in City Sissoko uh, out of France in the G League. This guy is a lot of upside. He's only 19 years old, playing next to Scoot Henderson and uh, a defensive forward. Uh, six foot seven, with as as I said, a lot of upside on the offensive side. Did score five straight twenty point games late in the season, and um, although playing next to someone like Scoot, who can generate a lot of assists, did average more than three assists a game as a forward. Uh, so a lot of potential. And the Pacers again have two two young G League players here who they can take some time to develop and see how they pan out. Um, and I would not be surprised if either one of these guys that we drafted, Leonard Miller and City Soko, if one of them did not pan out pretty much in a you know in a year or two. So they're pretty happy to have him join the team at pick 29. And that leads us to the final pick of the first round with the Los Angeles Clippers at pick 30. All right, the Los Angeles Clippers. They they tried to trade this pick a few different times, tried to figure out ways to maybe shape thing, uh, shake things up a little bit, but they decided you know, that the picks weren't, or the trades weren't accepted. So they went ahead and took a combo guard from Xavier, Kobe Jones, defensive-minded guy who can, you know, has playmaking abilities. He shot 42.5% on his uh, catch-and-shoot attempts this season. So feel really good about that, being a nice floor spacer for guys like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, when they have the ball in their hands. Even potentially Russell Westbrook, if he comes back, uh, just a guy that's uh, good at catch-and-shooting. And that's a big reason why defensive upside, you know, the Clippers are getting good value here at pick 30 with Kobe Jones. Probably a little bit of a fall for him because uh, a lot of mocks have him ranked in like the 22 to 30 range. So not a, not a crazy fall, but a, a bit of a fall here. Uh, I think that Brandon Pajemski would have also been a very nice pick here for the Clippers here, but the Grizzlies got him at 25. So, you know, you kind of fall in line with one of those more uh, defensive-minded guards that can do a little bit of everything. So that... Uh, that is it, and that's going to wrap it up for this mock draft. But to kind of just close it all out, I want to get your guys' thoughts on all of the trades that were made here. So let's go back and look at the trades. Uh, I know that we talked pretty much at length about why we did the trade with, with Portland here at three, but Carson, we did not get your thoughts on this one. So kind of break this one down for me, why you think all these teams would do this. Yeah, I think the Pacers, it's pretty obvious. I mean, you you – increase the odds that one that you end up with an all-star or a potential NBA type candidate. Obviously you don't want to necessarily say that's your expectation that Brandon Miller has to be that, but when you're rebuilding, you kind of have to increase your sample size that you get a hit on all-stars. And so I think that's very obvious uh, what you're doing here with Brandon Miller. It's a position of need. We know how valuable scoring uh, forwards are in the NBA um, so I think it, the writing's on the wall for the Pacers. Um, for Portland, it's, again, pretty obvious. You get a all-NBA level forward that fits very well with Dame. 
so that and a an elite rim protector in Miles Turner. So you you get um, those obvious advantages there. Then Toronto, you get a lot of return. You might not get the flashiest um, pick at first. I maybe wasn't too uh, excited for Toronto for this because they didn't walk away. They trade Pascal and don't walk away with the number three pick when they are rebuilding. Um, but the more you think about it, you get Andrew Nemhard, you get uh, Anthony Simons to play your two, you get a Sar, you walk away with a Sar Thompson, and then uh, from there you still can trade OG Ananobi to find your five or whatever you need in the future. So I think that makes a lot of sense. So you really have a very solid young core, one to five, uh, moving forward. So I think that's kind of why it would make sense for Toronto. Yeah, and I will say this real quick too, like. I've seen a lot of people say they wouldn't trade Siakam unless they got number three, but you got to remember Siakam's on a uh, expiring contract as well. And that's one of the main reasons why Portland, you know, felt like they need a little bit more and uh, Toronto wasn't able to get back three for that. So moving up from 13 to seven was a, was a big jump, even moving up six spots from where they were at, you know, they gave him up and getting Nimhart. I mean, the Pacers really don't want to get rid of him. He's part of their young core. So this is a big risk. I, I'm sure the Pacers might even have, call it after the draft to see if they could extend this to get OG at some point <laughs> in this deal and try to make it even bigger. But at this point, this is where we're at. And I think also with Indiana, you might hate the center position now because you are pretty thin there. You still have Daniel Tice on the roster, uh, which I think David might have forgot that earlier. Uh, but you have him as like your third string center. And maybe maybe you could find a home for him and Nurkic together for a team that might need center depth and, and try to find something there. Like uh, I, I thought about this as like a potential type of thing if the Suns had not traded away DeAndre Ayton, would they be interested in center depth like that with maybe a Buddy Hield attached? And the Pacers then could be more aggressive to go out and get DeAndre Ayton, which they were obviously interested in last year. And the only reason they would do that is if they did get off of Turner here. So uh, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense right now with Turner on the roster to to go trade for Ayton in a Turner trade like that. So uh, that could be interesting to me. I know some Pacers fans are going to hate this, feel like they're giving up way too much. Uh, as a Pacers podcaster, this is what it's going to take. Something along these lines, maybe not as much as we ended up giving up, but it's still to get back at 13, I think was the main reason why this deal was a little bit more justifiable. Uh, you could maybe say, okay, Toronto, you can keep 13. We'll keep Nimhard. Maybe that could have been part of it. And we we could look at that. But uh, what are your thoughts on that, Lincoln? Yeah, I think that that is, you know, there's there's a lot of shapes that this could take where, you look at kind of the edge pieces and kind of mix and match those. But I do, in terms of Toronto, in terms of, uh, you know, them giving up their their best player, that 27 unprotected first from Portland is a sneaky, like, really big asset because that will be the season. I believe Dame will be 37, and they'll be paying him right around $60 million. So just as a, a betting person, like, that probably be a pretty decent pick if he's even there at that point. So I think that is something that they could just kind of add to their war chest, you know, let it accrue value and then, you know, pick, maybe it's a really high pick. Maybe they trade it down the line. So I really do think all the teams get big value. Like you were talking about with the 13th pick is what makes it equal to me. Obviously if the Pacers just gutted their team to get uh, just the third pick, it would start to feel a little bit, but we still have 13 to, as David did, go get another wing that we think can be potentially a starter with Brandon Miller. So 
mean, if you come out of a draft and you have two positions sewed up for the next half decade, that's a great draft, almost regardless of what you gave up, especially if you didn't give up anything after this year. So mm-hmm. I really do think it makes sense for all three sides. I, yeah, I, I, I think it honestly is a little bit more of a realistic trade than uh, even I thought at first with how big it was, but I, I think it makes sense. Any, any final thoughts on that, David? Yeah, I would just say, like, I know we're going to have Pacers fans be, like, upset about this. We, this is, like, the third or fourth time that someone's mentioned that. Uh, and I just think that, like, two things, if anyone out there has had, a like, a negative reaction to the trade. Number one, it didn't actually happen. So, you know, it's not real. <laughs> but, like, just, like, pump the, pump the brakes. For fun. No, number two, as the person who is in charge of the GM for the Pacers and a massive Pacers fan and a Pacers homer, I didn't want it to be, like, let's just screw everyone else to give the Pacers Brandon Miller. You know, like, I don't want it to be like we um, created this situation where all these Pacer fans came on this podcast and created a fake pie-in-the-sky scenario where all these other GMs act like idiots and give us the, you know. So, yeah, maybe you you don't like it. It's totally fine to, like, be, be constructively critical over that, like some of the maybe the pieces of it. Um, but I think that, like, what, what would you rather us do just, like, create this like absolutely one-sided trade and just be stupid about it like so that was my my whole point in like in this trade i even was not sure if i should push back to try to get uh to try to trade jalen and and keep isaiah because i was trying very hard to not make it be a biased in the favor of the pacers trade um, and I think that it would be awesome if you want if if you wanted to quibble and say you can keep thirteen, we'll t- we'll keep Nimhard. Maybe that's what maybe that would be even better for both teams based off of how other uh, picks fall in, in the actual draft. But I, I do think that like the Raptors are going to have to get quite a hole to give up their best player, and the Blazers are going to have to get quite a hole to, to 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 be convinced that they could win now with Lillard and whatever they've gotten. Um, to give up number three, so that's going to mean that we're going to have to lose something, and it's not going to be Buddy Heald. <laughs> like, yeah. We all love Buddy Heald, but like Miles Turner is probably the piece that makes this happen. Yeah, and one thing too, it's like the Pacers aren't able to do this deal by themselves. No, they, yeah, for they sure, they don't have what it takes to get up to three unless they're mortgaging like every single pick, which doesn't even make sense for what the Blazers want. Yeah. yeah, that might help them go out and make a bigger trade, but like they want someone that's going to help them win now. Like that's the whole point around building around Dame. And like Lincoln said, like he's more like in like the team, like trade Dame and like restart this rebuild with Shaden Sharp and whoever's there at three, Brandon Miller at this point and Simons and whatever. Like there's a lot of cool avenues that the Blazers can go. But yeah, like you're not getting this deal done without uh, trading someone you don't want to trade. Like if from what I heard today on the radio, it sounds like when the Blazers are engaging the Pacers on these trades, like they're kind of starting things off at Tyrese Halliburton. It's like, that's a no start whatsoever. Yeah. Like Halliburton's wow. not going to be in any deal. So you're yeah. telling me like, you're going to call and say like, Hey, we'll give you Nimhard and Turner for three. They're going to be like, yeah, okay, thanks. But no, thanks. You know, yeah. that's why yeah. you've got to get an all-star like Siakam in this deal to even make it, you know, realistic. So I think that covers that one. We can quickly go over the small trade that happened between Orlando and Washington. Uh, Carson, when I originally offered this trade, I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. And then after Lincoln was like gladly like accepting it and like running to the podium to say, yes, we take this deal. I was like, maybe this was a terrible trade. 
and I kind of regretted it. But at that point, we'd already called it in, and I had already like uh, submitted it. So no going back on it. What were your thoughts on this deal? My immediate thought was I definitely, at least with the draft board as it was with a man available right there, I definitely think that uh, Orlando, even I get not liking uh, the the fit with a man, but I definitely think that uh, you can get more uh, than just Corey Kispert to move back two spots, especially when the kind of probably the most common uh, mocked number four in the draft is probably a men still. Um I would say so with him available two more spots. There's a lot of teams that could use some point guards. I, I just think you could probably get some more um, than just one role, one solid role player to move back two pretty big spots with a player with that elite of athleticism and that high of upside available uh, on the board. And, and to be fair for Orlando, they didn't get any trade offers. So that's kind of what made it like, you know, like, yeah. okay, what's going on here? And that's not a knock on anybody. It's just like, where's the right fit for him? And I think that's a big question mark too. It's like, I think where he goes is going to matter in terms of how he develops in the league. So yeah. that's just my opinion. But yeah, I just felt like Corey Kispert was not like moving the needle at all. <laughs> but it's like, who else do the Wizards really have on their roster? Uh, the Raptors would have probably looked at him in, but like at that point, they've already got Simon and Nimhart on the roster. So it's like, where is he going to fit? And you don't want to take the ball out of their hands, and it's just going to be a little crowded where I think Asar could play a little more off ball there. So, uh, Lincoln, any other thoughts on that trade that we did? Yeah, I, I think this is interesting for the draft because I don't know specifically. I mean, the Rockets have so many guards, and they're apparently about to pay another guard a max contract. So mm-hmm. it is interesting. I don't, there's a real chance that I'm in who, I mean, he's a pretty blue chip asset, maybe a little bit below the top three, he really could be there. Cause I mean, similarly to the Pistons, I don't think they really need a guard. And then the magic they they could, but they need shooting. So there's a real chance that I'm in kind of does fall to seven, honestly looking at it, which would be kind of interesting, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that the reason that uh, I was excited about that trade is I'm definitely not a Corey Kispert person. I think that uh, he can have an NBA career, but if you can swap essentially uh, to get up to Amen Thompson for a player that I don't really think is part of the actual core there, then yeah, I think it's a pretty no-brainer trade. You can't spell core, uh, Corey without core, though. Let's just be honest. <laughs> no, no. I wonder. You if, got me. <laughs> I wonder if uh, Orlando feels a little differently if they do take a man at six and then get their shooting in Grady Dick at eleven. How does that? change things is the question that I would be wondering in the back of my mind. It makes sense. And I mean, they can always continue to like shape the roster. Uh, And and they could have even probably traded back up with Washington at eight, maybe from 11, like Washington to trade it down. Uh, Honestly, I wasn't going to take Jordan Hawkins at 11. If Case and Wallace was still on the board, I would have taken Case and Wallace at 11. That was kind of like what I was hoping would happen. So when he went to 10, I was like, okay, because I thought Grady Dick would go 10. It made the most sense to me. Probably a little bit more than Cason Wallace for Phoenix because, like, even with all the Chris Paul stuff, they still got to find a more solidified point guard moving forward, which we can kind of talk about that now, unless David has any great thoughts on the Orlando trade. (laughs) So it's like, uh, anything you want to throw? Okay, so it's pretty pretty basic. (laughs) But, yeah, like, for the whole Phoenix thing. David thinks Corey Kispert's the the next – 
um, guy to break Corey through an all-star level player. He's the next player in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> the next player. He's a guy. Yeah, uh, he's a good guy. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I mean, it was like a, it was just like a random trade. Like it didn't really affect much because I was gonna take actually Taylor Hendricks at six, no matter what. Uh, with how the board was shaping out, I was probably not going to take him in there just because I thought fit wise, and I've actually seen people that I trust their draft knowledge take Taylor Hendricks at six multiple times. So this Phoenix trade was very interesting. Uh, so how this worked because I want to make sure people understand. Since Carson was the GM of both Dallas and Phoenix, to make sure the trade was fair, uh, he submitted the trade to the league office, which was the three of us that weren't involved in the trade. And then David Lincoln and I voted if we thought this trade would get approved or not. It had to be majority two to one. I voted no trade, and David and Lincoln voted this would be an okay trade to send through. So my personal thoughts is I I, I kind of feel like DeAndre Ayton is a little bit undervalued here, just a tiny bit. I understand that number 10 is a pretty good pick, but at the same time, this draft, uh, it's got a lot of role players, not a lot of guys that were like the number one overall pick just four years ago. Uh, I do think that THJ and Maxi could could help uh, like give the, the Suns a little bit more uh, of depth on their roster because that's what they need with having so many guys, you know, uh, at, at heavy contracts. So I understand the reasoning why. I just don't think it makes a lot of sense for Dallas either to have a max contract to Aiton, Luca, and Kyrie Irving because I feel like that ceiling is pretty capped too. I feel like if I'm Dallas, I would look other ways uh, to try to get better. But I know a lot of Dallas fans are very excited about Aiton. So uh, I'll go to you first, David, on this trade. You accepted it. I know there was some back and forth on whether you thought it was fair value. But uh, for the sake of moving on, I know we did do this trade to keep it moving. Yeah, and I still can't decide, um, honestly, how I feel about it. I think that there's reasons why both teams would be okay with it and reasons why both teams would be um, would decline it. I think that I, I don't foresee the Suns moving off of Aiton now. Um, they've hired a coach that I think could um, try to figure out things out, and um, the coaching change could be enough to keep Aiton happy. You are going to have some change, potentially, um, they need to do something though to try to you know bust through where they were at last year and take and make the most out of having KD because you know God only knows how long that's going to last. So getting Maxi who then can play the five and then you have THJ, you have some depth. You get pick number ten to do what it, to do with whatever you feel like you you know try to do something kind of like what Denver did. Um, this last draft with uh, Christian Wood, right? Is that yeah. what? Okay, I can't remember his last name for some reason. Um, but like you know, drafting somebody that was able to play in the playoffs and play in the finals, and um, the, you know, I think that if if you're the Suns and you can find a player like like him who can contribute immediately, you would try to do that. So I can see um, for them both reasons why they would and would not, and, and the same for the Mavericks. I don't know how quickly that would push them over those like new thresholds that are being added with the CBA to have three max deals. Uh, two of those being two of the worst max deals probably in all of the NBA. Uh, I mean, Aiden, I mean, I obviously Lillard is probably going to be up there really soon. I mean, not right now though, but in a couple of years, it'll be really bad. Um, but in Aiden, you know, I don't see any reason why I would think he would all of a sudden be like incredible for Dallas. I mean, he could be better for Dallas, but I don't know max contract worthy I, I don't know and i'm just never gonna like assume that Kyrie's gonna be solid and dependable and 
you know, like I'm just never going to assume that. So, yeah. it, it, you know, again, though, if you're the Mavericks, you, you know, you need to do something to try to keep Luca. So it's like, these are two teams that are, could be, I could see why they might make a desperate move. And I think this is kind of a desperate move, maybe even for both of them. Yeah. And I'm going to go to, I know Carson wants to kind of, you know, explain his thoughts on this trade. I'll go to him in a second. I want to get Lincoln's thoughts here too, but just real quick. I just thought about this as we're talking. Yeah, DeAndre Ayton with Kyrie Irving just sounds like chaos, but not to mention Jason Kidd. (laughs) Yep. it's. uh, I think the infrastructure of Dallas is just very unstable right now, which makes me a little bit nervous. I don't think Ayton needs that environment, but uh, he can't really control where he's traded to at this point because he can't determine where he's traded to now that the the one year has passed with the offer sheet being matched. So, uh, Lincoln, real quick, your thoughts on this trade, and then Carson, you can just follow up after that. Yeah, so part of the reason I approved this trade is because I kind of hate it for both sides. <laughs> so I, I think it kind of works in that direction. But uh, obviously the Suns, they're they are coming into this offseason. Like, we got to get minimum two or three more NBA players than we had that can play rotation minutes in the playoffs. And for the Mavs, I really think they're a little bit floundering. I think they're seeing that potential of Luca leaving pretty early because of their lack of options. So I think this is a path to try and fix that. I definitely think that like we talked about with the new CBA, if you're paying a combined 75, $80 million to Aiton and Kyrie Irving in 2025, I think that is a great way to be a lottery team. And so I, I definitely would not do if I were either team, I wouldn't do this, but I'm happy to let these two teams do this. Yeah. So uh, interesting thing about this deal on a, on a couple fronts. One we have since uh, we originally did the draft have gotten some pretty key pieces of information regarding uh, the whole situation uh, of what's going on in Phoenix. That's kind of evolved since this one of those, um, being the fact that Frank Vogel was hired as head coach. I think that happened the very next day after we did this. Um, and then alongside with that, I think it was Shams reported that they're after that Vogel hiring, leading towards trying to restore Aiton's value across the league um, with the intention of keeping him, especially given Frank Vogel's excellent track record with uh, with centers. So very understandable. Um, but again, that happened after this. And then one of the other pieces of information was that since then, Chris Paul, there's been the kind of the increasing odds. At first it was that he was waived and then it's like, well, he hasn't officially been waived, but he probably will be and that they're exploring those options. So that kind of added another wrinkle in terms of Dallas. I, to be very clear, have, I have not been a fan of hardly any of the moves that the Dallas front office has made in the past few years and nor would I be a massive fan. Um, I haven't really seen a whole lot of Dallas uh, mock deals um, that I have been a fan of this actually kind of including that this one felt like a deal that um, because it was so far from being an optimal deal for Dallas, it felt to me like a Dallas deal Um <laughs> So it felt very plausible for that reason to me. Um, It uh, was so that was part of it. Another part of it, it, I guess, added a little bit of a wrinkle uh, to, I guess, this fun little exercise that we've done. Um, 
just to have another trade in there. A lot of the other trades that we had lined up uh, fell or that I had ready to make uh, fell apart after the uh, blockbuster Portland, Indiana and um, Toronto trade. So that took a lot of things off the table. Um, but all, all of those things considered, that's kind of why we ended up where we ended up with this one. Um, I think so obviously far from optimal, which is right up Dallas's alley. <laughs> and, uh, I, I really think that it's, is it a good route to go? No, but I really do think they are going to become this like buy low, uh, NBA team. I'm full on expecting Dylan Brooks to be in a Mavericks uniform next season. I'm uh, so I think that's generally going to be the nature of what's going to happen as much as I hate it. That just sounds like an even worse infrastructure if you had Dylan Brooks in the mix. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kid and DeAndre Ayton and Kyrie Irving. Oh, my God, that'd be must-see TV. Like, give me a, give me a league pass to watch that. I, I would love to see that um, for sure. So, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting there. So we can move on to the last trade here, and this was one that kind of came after the picks had been made. Uh, I threw this idea out at David because he is a GM of both Atlanta and Houston and uh, no, Atlanta and Brooklyn, excuse me. I'm the GM of Houston. I'm losing tra uh, train of thought here, but uh, the big reason why for this trade, I'll just kind of like reiterate it. Like I was trying to make sense for all three teams. When I did this deal, one of the things you have to look at with Atlanta, they want to move off John Collins. They can get his replacement in Dorian Finney Smith, which I think might actually be a better fit long-term. Uh, they've already got Anyeka Kongwu as their backup center, who they really want to get some minutes to. And I think Clint Capella is kind of in the way of that. Uh, Al Prince and Goon could be a nice backup big. Maybe he starts, but I think he'd probably come off the bench behind uh, Kongwu. And I really do think Quinn Snyder could really like figure out a way to make him fit with what they're trying to do in Atlanta. So I, I like that for them. For Brooklyn, uh, David, you, you pick Nick Smith Jr. for him at pick 21, I believe. You get Jalen Huchifino in there. You bring Kevin Porter Jr. And you have Spencer Dinwiddie. This is a lot of point guards that, uh, you know, really are kind of battling it out here for this spot in Brooklyn because they're kind of in a weird situation where they're trying to figure out what the next steps are. So they get, you know, two guards here to go along with one of the guards already drafted. But four second-round picks is pretty big. And then the the Rockets are going win-now kind of here with two win-now players in Capella and O'Neal, which I kind of explained that. Uh, when I look back at this deal and I thought about it after I sent it and you guys kind of talked about it in the group chat, I said, yeah, I think Houston probably did give up a little a bit too much in this deal for, for two veteran type of guys. But overall, I thought that it was it made sense for all parties involved. Uh, Lincoln, I'm curious your thoughts on this. And then David, follow up after Lincoln and Carson after David. Yeah, I think overall, like like you said, I think you could argue Houston maybe did a little bit too much. But I do think that uh, Frank Capella is very fitting with what their supposed plan is of essentially just taking those old Rockets teams and just crudely sewing them into this new young core. So I do think that uh, I think I I don't think this is too uh, unrealistic. Dorian Finney-Smith is someone who I think is his values pretty much never been lower than it is right now. So I think it would be smart for like the Hawks to like Carson was saying, buy low on someone like that. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately this is uh, a trade that it fits with what every team is trying to do. So I think, I think it's a pretty good trade. David. Yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, you mentioned like the nets having lots of point guards. I mean, I think you could, you could move Jalen 
hood Shafino to shooting guard if you had to. Um, and also it's like you just get talent and see what sticks. Like mm-hmm. you might have four point guards, but if you know one or two of them don't work out and you can move one of them to shooting guard, things will work out there. Um, you just try to, you know, get a plethora of young players and hope that one or two of them are really good. Um, and for Atlanta, it was like like I said, when we were actually making the picks, I think I don't think it makes sense for them to trade back. You just take the best available players, it's gonna help you um in the future try to win with Trey and I think that like Dorian Finney Smith, like you said, a bit of a buy low, but um had some good seasons with Dallas and is a you know the kind of player that I could see them utilizing um in in their in their offense. So well, defense too, but I mean like just in their general team. They don't really have a ton of options there with a player like him. Um, I mean, we know that there's obviously always trade rumors around. Um, oh, what's his name? I'm forgetting his name for John Atlanta. Collins. John, John Collins. Collins. Yeah, there's always you know. So I don't know if they would just see him as like Dorian Finney-Smith would be just the person that would play instead of John Collins. Um, I, I'm not sure how they would do that, but I think that this is the kind of trade where you're like, okay, they're getting players that are proven quantities to some extent. You've seen them be successful rotational starter level even uh, players. And so you get some proven stuff instead of trying to make a swing on a rookie. Carson, thoughts on this trade? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense for the teams involved. Like you all have already said, I like um, I like it for Houston, even though you said, like you mentioned, they might be giving up a little much. I do like it for them. Um, it make it, and like Lincoln said, it does make sense for this weird hybrid of a team. They're evidently trying to um, knit together for a playoff push. Do it like it for Atlanta as well. I may, I think I like it for Atlanta maybe the most, mm-hmm. um, just because I love me some Dorian Finney-Smith. And then I think um, I still don't really know what type of player I envision Alperen Sengun being in the NBA because he's the type of player who you look at him, uh, you look at his box numbers and you watch him play and you're like, man, this guy is, which he is still insanely young. So it's like, who's to say what he is and what he isn't? Um, but um, I like it in general, general for them. The only uh, question that I have is what is going on in Brooklyn? Uh, the the age old question, um, because it's tough for me right now to like, we don't know for sure um, really what they're thinking in terms of like, are they going to, are they going to rebuild or are they keeping, do they think Miles Bridges is like the guy that they're going to uh, build around. Mikael Bridges, not Miles. Yeah, sorry. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> Very important distinction there. Uh, Mikael Bridges, if he's, which like, I I love Mikael Bridges, um, but they seem like they're pretty dead set on keeping him. So um, I'm, I, I think they, they got, got Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah. In, in the, in the Kyrie trade, and then they traded a first-round pick for Royce O'Neal. So it's just, um, but granted, that was all before um, a lot of this uh, stuff went down. So it, it's tough to say what exactly Brooklyn wants because the, the past couple decisions they've made, it's been kind of tough to tell. But overall, I definitely like it for Atlanta and Houston. And then for Brooklyn, I mean, it's always it's always good to get a defensive, uh, a good defensive guard in the NBA, which is tough to come by. Um but it's just it it depends on what Brooklyn's true goal is throughout this process for them. Yeah, I think with this, and I was kind of trying to allude to this, maybe I didn't say it clear enough, but I think David reiterated it. Like, yeah, I think getting all four guards in there makes a lot of sense because you just play it out. 
and let them kind of battle for that position. I, I think you probably go into the season with Jalen Hutchifino and uh, maybe Nick Smith Jr. coming off the bench together and starting Kevin Porter Jr. next to Spencer Dinwiddie with Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, and then Nick Claxton. Like, that's your starting five. Like, it could be pretty interesting. Like, I'm not the biggest KPJ fan, but, like, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, he's he's a decent player. Like, he's got flashes of okayness. Like, nothing bad against him, but it's just like, that's who he is. Like, there's a reason why Houston wants to bring in James Harden. Like, it's like KPJ was like the 30th overall pick for Cleveland. It's like, you're not getting a guy that's going to be like a franchise-changing player, and his contract's not all that great either. Like, it's... Uh, I think it's got like a team option on it after next year or something like that. So it's like, it's not like it's a lot of money. Spencer Dinwiddie's on an expiring. So it's kind of like, those are your stopgap veterans until you figure out what you're doing with your guards here that you drafted and kind of let them develop. Uh, they got Cam Thomas. Who's another guy that hasn't really been able to get on the floor much. Like when he's been on the floor, he's been a bucket. And then he just like gets put on the bench and he has a pretty bad attitude about it. So like, that's not going to really bode well for his future with them. And then their other guards are like Seth Curry uh, Joe Harris, like guys that just don't really play defense. So I think all the all the trade here really did is like just solidify them like a chance to find a young stud that could make sense. Like I think Cochafino could really pan out really well in the NBA uh, if he can figure out how to knock down threes at a higher percentage and get to the rim a little bit better. The passings there, the pick and roll games there, I think he could be a really nice playmaker for him. And Nick Smith Jr. like. Some of you guys probably don't remember this, but like at the beginning of the year, he was like in the top five, top mm -hmm. six for Arkansas uh, in terms of like the whole entire draft. And he just completely fell out. So uh, if you believe in the upside there, like putting him on a team in Brooklyn gives him a chance to kind of recoup that value a little bit and kind of like show, hey, I, I wasn't as bad as maybe I should at Arkansas, who also had another ball handler and Anthony Black there. So it just kind of like may have been a weird fit. So overall, I think everything... On all these trades, we try to make them as realistic as possible. We weren't trying to be homers, anything like that. Uh, I feel like this is a pretty fun exercise. I would love for everybody to tell us what they thought of the draft, whether you hated it or loved it. Uh, just trying to give you guys different content that's not always the same old boring stuff that you're getting all the time, but uh, a different kind of look at things with trades and uh, trade offers and maybe not picking as much as the consensus always does because there is always uh, a bit of a shakeup here and there in the draft that you don't really see coming. So, uh, to kind of sign off, I'll let you guys get a final word in here before we wrap it up. All right, we'll go to David first. I mean, I think it was a fun exercise. I think that we've it is going to be a crazy draft from all accounts, and maybe it won't be. I've heard that before, but we had a crazy draft, and so it was a lot of fun to just like mock that out and see for Pacers fans, you know, what's it look like if things do get pretty nutty and we have a lot of trades, um, and you know, maybe this isn't what's going to happen, but. Hey, it was fun to make it. <laughs> Absolutely. Carson? Yeah, I think part of what made this exercise so fun is kind of like what you just uh, alluded to in terms of how different uh, it is. And there's always some wrinkles in the draft that we don't see coming as uh, sure as we may be going into the draft. Sometimes there's always um, some unexpected things that arise. And I feel like we got that here. So I feel like uh, it uh, definitely offered a unique uh, look at what the draft might look like. Close us out, Lincoln. Yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, is it June 22nd, just a couple weeks from now, it's going to be a blast. Uh, obviously, it's going to be big for the Pacers, so it was really fun to kind of role play through that. Uh, it also just kind of made me knuckle down and actually learn a few of these prospects more than just their names. So that was a useful tool, too. 
This is one way to get yourself a little bit more knowledgeable of these draft uh, prospects is getting to kind of know where they're mocked and what their values are and what their, you know, pros and cons are to the team. So that's really fun. Um, obviously, no Fachi on this episode. We miss Fachi when he can't make it, but we know Fachi will be back. We've got a loaded week for you guys coming up. It is draft week. We'll probably be listening to this Saturday or Sunday if you're listening to it. Um, we got Tony East coming on this week, and we got some other good draft guests coming on before we do a live reaction to the NBA draft uh, on Thursday. It's almost here, ladies and gentlemen, so get ready. But with that being said, follow us on Twitter at setting the, uh, at setting the pace three. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, Fox at underscore F-A-C-C-I. We're over on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And if you want to find any of those links, you can find them in our link tree, which I will attach uh, to all the posts that I share. So thanks, everybody, for listening to us. I'm going to talk to you all later. Let's go, Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We're going to need a mop. Smooth. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.